everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Today, we are going to go ahead and work on our second interview, and today we're going to be talking to a real estate agent, not just any real estate agent, but my personal real estate agent. Coley Bailey joins us today. He is a real estate agent voted as one of the top in Northwest Arkansas and a personal friend. Coley, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> good? You I, sure? You're not nervous? I'm, I'm terrified. All right, good, because, you know... We need a good show. <laughs> it's, I think I think it'll be good. I think uh, you ask the questions, and I will try my best to give you a good answer. All right. I mean, fair enough. And look, if he gives an answer you don't like, don't dislike the video. Please. I need this. <laughs> so, Coley, I already introduced you as a real estate agent. So what does that mean? What does a real estate agent do? Um, okay, so a real estate agent represents your best interest throughout a real estate transaction. Um, in a way, you can sort of think of a real estate agent as a manager for a transaction. So for different clients, it can be a completely different job, you know? So uh, for somebody who's selling a home, that might mean, you know, helping them get the right price figured out, uh, doing the market research, um, doing the, uh, helping them figure out the presentation of the house and, um, you know, landscaping and what needs to be done for the house to get it to sell. Um, and then the promotion, doing the marketing, all that kind of stuff. So a real estate agent has to be very knowledgeable about the market, about the neighborhood. Um, they have to understand the data and the numbers of, uh, the real estate market at the time. And they also have to understand marketing. They have to understand sales. They have to understand communication with other people, negotiation with other agents. Um, there's a lot that's rolled into the job of a real estate agent. And mostly what I just spoke about there was if, if the agent's representing the seller selling a house, but if they're representing you as a buyer buying a house, they're also probably helping you find the properties. They're going to be showing you properties uh, so they're going to be driving. They're going to be very active out in the community, um, looking at properties a lot. So again, a lot of the same skills apply um, when it comes to the negotiations, um, helping you as a buyer understand the process and how it's going to go, understand the contract and you know all the things that are in the contract. Um, and then once you are under contract, making sure everything stays on track and all the other people that are involved, all the moving parts. That's kind of why I say real estate agent is a lot like a manager of a process uh, because they they need to stay on track. They need to stay on top of um, getting an inspector and then, Hey, there's going to be an appraisal and maybe we need a termite policy and maybe we need a survey on this property um, and then communicating everything with the title company there's also a big interplay with the lender and making sure that they have everything that they need in order that you can close. So real estate agent does a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't but it doesn't look like a lot um, to the client. If it's done well, the client doesn't necessarily know how much is being done. It's just a smooth process to where, oh, we found our house and we got it under contract and a couple weeks later, we closed, and everything is great, and then we moved in. Now here we are. Um, making it smooth is the job of, of the real estate agent. So with that being our loose definition of 
or our, how we define a good real estate agent. Would it be fair to say that after you go through a home buying process or a home selling process, if you sit there and think, why did I even pay that guy? That they did a really good job. Probably, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. If what you... did he even do? <laughs> <laughs> well, and but and sometimes you you will run into problems um, where you think I'm really glad I had that agent. Um, so I, you know, I've had I've had transactions where I met a client and literally 21 days later they were closing on a house. Um, you know, we met. Day one, day two, we found the house. Day three, we got it under contract. And, and then day 21, they were moving in. Um, I, I, and there were no problems. It was super smooth. I've also had issues where, you know, you had to cancel a contract. I've also had issues where there are multiple offer situations and you're going through three and four properties and not winning any of them. And then you get a, con- uh, a property under contract and then you find out it's got such bad repair issues that you can't go through (laughs) with it and then you have to go find another one and so it could take months so your agent is there through thick and thin through whatever whatever needs to happen to get you into the home so i gotta be honest i asked the question with the purpose of it being like a nice 20 second concise answer (laughs) uh we didn't get that but that's okay so so would it be fair to say, just simplify it at a basic sure, level, sure. would it be fair to say that a real estate agent is a lot like a lawyer in that it's a very dedicated expert in their field that you hire to help you along so that you don't have to be an expert? Right. I would I would definitely agree with that. Well, all righty. And there's our 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in, by the okay, way. Okay, I'm sure you are. <laughs> So you had mentioned that real estate agents get hired. You have them come along with you. So what are some questions you should ask before hiring a real estate agent? Or should you talk to, talk to several? Yeah, I don't think there's any harm in speaking to multiple agents. Um, but make sure you don't sign anything with multiple agents. Because typically if you, if you are signing an agency agreement, that means you work with that particular agent. Um, at that point... I'll just say on behalf of the industry, please stop shopping for an agent at that point. Um, that's when things get tricky and, and you might owe two different agents a commission and, and, and things like that. Um, but yes, interviewing multiple agents is fine. Um, you want to ask them questions along the lines of the goals that you have for your real estate transaction. So if you're a first-time home buyer. You might ask, how do they work with buyers? How can you help me through the process? Do you have time to explain a lot of things to me? Um, sometimes agents are really, really busy, and they don't have time to necessarily hold someone's hand and and give them all that education, um, and some agents do. And so that's a good uh, defining question that will um, separate <laughs> separate some of those agents um, for you in that situation. You know, likewise, if you're selling a house, you want to ask what their marketing plan is. You want to ask what they do to to bring the most money out of that transaction into your pocket. All righty then. So, Coley, what are some examples of maybe the top question or maybe the most important question that a potential buyer or seller should ask their agent? 
I think one of the best things to establish with your agent is what you want in the property and how that agent is going to help you get all the way from where you are to that close. So that's a process. They should be able to explain to you the entire process, including potentially creative ways of finding properties that are above and beyond just, I'm going to send you a list of properties in the market and you tell me what you want to buy. So what are some creative ways? Like what kind of, what kind of creative ways exactly are you sort of fishing for when you're asking an agent that? Okay. Well, from, from my perspective, we've been dealing with a really low inventory market and that's tough on buyers. This is a seller's market that we've had for the last several years here. Um, and so buyers are really getting squeezed with multiple offer situations um, and you just don't know if you're, if you're going after the same properties that everybody else is going after, it's, it's really hard to guarantee that you're going to get that house. So there are a couple of things that can sort of circumvent that. One is to look at properties that have been on the market for a long time. They're overlooked in the market. Um, and the reason that they're overlooked is probably because they're overpriced, which might mean you've got to negotiate a little harder to get it at a at a level you're comfortable with. But the fact is not that many other people are looking at that property because it's been on the market too long. Also, it could have something wrong with the property. So um, you've also got to be on the lookout for that or be willing to fix it. Okay, so that's one thing. Overlooked properties. Another one would be... Um, Properties that aren't in the market yet. Um, so kind of future properties. And there's a couple variations of that. One could be um, people who had been thinking about putting their property in the market but haven't done it yet. So an agent could market you as a buyer to potential sellers, right? They could go to a neighborhood and call everybody in that neighborhood and say, hey, you know, John Doe is looking for a house in your neighborhood. We really need a 3-2 at 1,700 square feet. Do you Have you been thinking about selling your house? So a lot of agents will do this when they have a listing. They'll call everybody in the neighborhood and say, hey, do you know anybody who's wanting to buy or you have friends or family who are looking to get closer to you? Well, you could do the same thing for buyers as well. Um, another future property would be properties that don't exist yet. So new construction, right? Um, you don't have as much competition with new construction because when you go to that builder and you say, hey, I want to build this floor plan on that lot, nobody else has picked that lot and that floor plan to put there except for you. So it's not a multiple offer situation most of the time. It's you deciding with the builder what you want to do and going under contract with that. So those are, you know, three potentials. Alrighty. Now I do want to ask you a couple follow up questions because I think we had we mixed in a little bit of lingo. Okay. So just okay. just some clarifying questions here. Now you mentioned inventory. Right. So just to someone who's unfamiliar with real estate or just the real estate game, uh, <laughs> how what is inventory? Well, inventory is, I mean, in any industry, if it was retail, it would be how much product do you have on your shelves, 
Right. Right. In real mm-hmm. estate, it's how many homes are listed in the market, in the multiple listing service, the MLS, uh, which is what real estate agents look at um, to, f- to find those properties. That's what we... That's what we're referring to when we say the market. It's the MLS. So would it be fair to say that the MLS is sort of like a Amazon or eBay in that it's sort of an online, not so much shopping service, but it kind of shows you like a menu. This is what we have. Right. Yeah, I would say that. Um, and it it actually predates all the online stuff that we have now. They used to have these thick books that they would print every week or every month or something i don't it was before my time in the industry but i hear i hear some of the brokers that have been in the industry a long time talk about the the old mls books and you had to go to the real estate agent and flip through the book and see what was available Uh, but yeah that's all digital now and in fact most of the popular websites like zillow realtor.com homes.com they pull that data from the MLS and share it with the public. So typically when you're looking at one of those sites, you're looking at information that came from the MLS and was input by a local real estate agent. Gotcha. Okay. So another thing you had mentioned several times was a multiple offer situation. Right. So what sort of situation is this? Right. Okay. So if if a property is priced really well uh, and it's really attractive to more than one buyer... Let's say this, so this happened recently. A property was listed on a Wednesday and on a, on Thursday at eight o'clock, I showed up with my buyers to look at it. Well, by noon, they had booked out the entire day with showings. By the end of the day, they had 10 offers on the property. So that was 10 buyers who sent a contract in saying, I'll buy it for X number of dollars and all these terms and conditions. Um, and so the sellers now have 10 offers. Multi- so it's a multiple offer situation. So they just get to pick. Who do we want? Who do we want? You know, who, who's given us the best price and terms? And that's really beneficial for sellers, not so much for all those buyers. Gotcha. So you're trying to, as a home buyer, you're trying to avoid a multiple offer situation because right. then you're competing with other potential buyers for the same property. Right. Then it kind of becomes like a bidding war, kind of. Or it could. It is a bidding war, yeah. So there are ways to win the bidding wars, but it's typically... Fight to the death. Who's willing to... Yes, fight to the death. (laughs) (laughs) Gladiator style. Exactly. Uh, Terms and conditions. That's in there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it feels that way sometimes, but usually it just comes down to the money. Who's going to pay the most money for this property. But there, there are some other creative ways within a multiple offer situation to win that. Um, I don't want to give away all my negotiation tactics, but uh, one of them would be to write a letter to the seller explaining your situation. I wouldn't put anything that uh, compromises your financial situation or puts you in a weaker negoti- negotiating situation, but... Something personal. Something personal. You know, we've really been looking for a home in this area. We really love the home. Thanks for letting us see it. We we would love and cherish it forever. You know, something like yeah. that. And you gotta invite. You gotta have the picture of the kids and the dog, so that they know you are literally making a family healthy, ha- happy. 
You are actually making a family happy by selling me this home. Not this guy. He didn't even send you a letter. Exactly. <laughs> but it, do, it, it does have a personal touch, and I have seen that shift um, the seller in favor of one offer over another. There we go. You heard it here first. It works on American Idol and in the home buying process. Because, <laughs> <laughs> come on, it, occasionally it comes down to the sob story. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it can. It, it's, it's helpful for people to have an emotional connection mm-hmm. with another person in, 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 dealing with, in dealing with each other. Gotcha. You're sort of pulling the focus off of the money and so and a little bit more into the personal. So you might have an offer that might be $2,000 apart, this one versus this one. But if the lower offer sent them, you know, this heartfelt letter, look at my cute kids, you're going to make us all so happy, we're going to, this is the first family home. Yeah. That just might be worth that two grand. It could. Depending on the person. It depends on the person. Yeah. <laughs> Well, alrighty. And then another thing you had mentioned was you had mentioned a seller's market. Now, I know I've heard this term before where there's buyer's market or seller's market. Could you okay. go a little bit into that? Yeah. Um, well, definitely when you're looking at multiple offer situations being the norm, that's a seller's market because the seller is in more of a position of strength. Uh, and you can de- we determine that as real estate agents typically based on month's supply. It's a, it's a, it's a metric that is based on the number of sales that have happened in the last month versus the number of listings that are currently in the market. Okay. So sort of like uh, if in the entire month of January, 10 houses were sold and there's currently 100 houses listed, then there's a 10-month supply. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So it's how fast would you sell through the current inventory given the current rate of selling if there were no other homes listed, right? So that's that's really what month supply is. And a, traditionally, a six-month supply would be an even market. You wouldn't have... Um, you wouldn't have prices rising and you wouldn't have prices falling. It's just a flat market. Um, most of the time in the U.S., we're somewhere around a four-month supply. The last few years, we've been under that, more like three months. Now, four-month supply is is a seller's market. You're going to have gentle upward pressure on prices over time. So about every four months, you're probably going to have you know, one to two percent increase in the in the prices as well. So, um, but that's a seller's market. Now, if if it got to maybe eight months supply, that would really be a buyer's market, and you would start to see prices fall. And that's gonna that's when you're gonna have an oversupply in the market for how many buyers are trying to purchase. So, in that case, in the in the buyer's market, it's sort of a it's named after buyer's market is good for the buyers. Right. Seller's market is good for the sellers. Yes. In that, depending on supply and demand, prices could be, say, higher than they otherwise would be or lower than they otherwise would be. Right. Well, okay then. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you had mentioned a little bit earlier. So we were talking about what kind of questions would you ask a real estate agent, and you had made a comment about 
don't sign anything while you're talking to different agents. Is there some kind of exclusivity contract or is there some kind of agreement between you and your agent? Right, yeah. So whether you're hiring an agent to help you buy a property or hiring an agent to help you list your property, you're you're most of the time going to be signing an exclusive agency agreement, which means that they are your agent for this transaction. Um, and you know, on the, let's talk about the buyer agency agreement. For example, it lays out the commission that they'll expect to be paid at the end. It lays out how long they might have to find the property for you. Um, it lays out, it's the document that's going to allow the agent to work for you to show you the properties, to write the contract for you, to negotiate on your behalf, and and to help you through the closing process. Okay. And so you had said don't sign it if you're talking to multiple. Is there, like, exclusivity in there where you yes. get sort it's of like It's an a- exclusive agreement. What that means is that the agent is your only agent during th- that transaction. Gotcha. Completely monogamous. Yes. And actually, it's... It's based on the broker. It's not actually the agent. You're really signing this agreement with the brokerage that the agent works for. Okay, so what would be the difference between maybe a broker versus an agent? Okay, so originally, uh, real estate brokers were all there were in the industry. Um, You know, we're talking 50 or 60 years ago. Um, And then... Brokers hired agents underneath them to work under their license to help people buy or sell properties. And so now, typically, the brokers are the ones who run the office, and the business is in the broker's license, actually. Uh, they're sort of the managers of the agents, if you, if you want to look at it that way. But actually, when you're signing an exclusive agency agreement, you're signing it with the broker. So would it be fair to say, so you got like the broker up here, the broker's got the license, the broker runs maybe the realty corporation, and then you have the agents underneath that operate under the broker's license. Right. And then if you sign the agreement, the agreement isn't necessarily with the agent, it's with the broker. Right. So theoretically and in practice, I guess, if your agent sort of slights you, like maybe just... Maybe they're not, they're not giving you the right time. They're not like they're not giving you the time you need or want, or maybe they're just not what you were looking for. Could you just shift to another agent under that same broker? You could reach out to the broker and see if if they wanted to to do that. But it is it would potentially be an option. Yeah, all of those agreements have termination clauses, so you can terminate an agency agreement um, or a, or a broker agreement. As well, so even if you wanted to switch brokerages, you can you can cancel that uh, that agency agreement. Gotcha. And I do want to clarify one thing. I had made a comment about a minute ago uh, that it's completely monogamous, but that's not necessarily true. So, for a transaction, a person, buyer or seller, can have one agent, but that agent can still have other people that they're working for. Oh, right. Yes. 
Okay, so it's kind of a you have to stay you have to stay dedicated, but they can still run up and down around town. <laughs> well, that's kind of how they pay the bills. So, um, you know, if you're if you were buying multiple houses a year, uh, sure you could do that. Right, and that kind of ties back into what you had said initially, in that if you're a first time buyer or seller, you kind of needed to ask an agent, like, hey, are you going to have time to work with me on right. this? Because if they're a really busy agent, they could potentially have ten people that they're working with. And then they might not necessarily have the time to really answer all of your questions, respond timely. Now, it depends on the agent. Some can probably better multitask than others. But in general, if you have a really busy, really popular realtor, they might not be able to give you as much time and dedication as a less busy realtor. And also, different agents will sort of specialize in different sides of the business. So some specialize as listing agents. And they want to carry as many listings as possible. And they might not have time for buyers. They might not really focus on buyers. Um, Typically, buyers agents, because that job is a lot more involved in going out and showing and you have to be driving uh, a lot, typically buyers agents can't carry as many clients at one time as a listing agent. Gotcha. And so just to be clear, so buyer's agents is someone you hire if you're going to purchase a house. Correct. And a listing agent might just be the agent that's just selling your house or listing it on the MLS, as we mentioned earlier, the multiple right. listing service. Right. Gotcha. So you had mentioned that the contract between you and your agent is an employment contract. Now, naturally, this agent is, we've said the agent's working for you. It's an employment contract. So how do the agents get paid? Okay, so agents get paid as independent contractors from the broker. So it's important to remember that there's both a broker and an agent involved per side of the transaction. So usually in the United States, it's arranged in a way that when someone sells a property, there's an agent who is hired as the listing agent, and they're paid a certain commission. And they split that commission with the buyer's agent or the buyer's broker, okay? Um, So right out of the gate, usually that commission is split in half or some variation of parts. It could be 40%, 60%, something like that. Then each, each of the brokers will also pay the agent who's handling the transaction. So there's... Every commission, when you know, when you look at um, a commission rate, you need to divide it by four in your head. So right. let's say it was a six percent. Okay, don't assume that that agent's getting six percent. Okay, so let's take an example just right. for the sake of math. Right, it's a hundred thousand dollar house, okay. and we're going to say it's an eight percent commission. Oh, let's make it realistic. Make it a two hundred thousand dollar house. All right, fine. $200,000 house. Okay. For the sake of math. Okay. $200,000 house. Okay. 8% commission. Okay. So 8% is going to be $16,000. Right. So $16,000 for a commission because that's just the property value multiplied by the commission rate. Right. So 200000 The 8%. sale price of the property. Right. Yes. And then, so we have a commission of $16,000. Right. We then have to divide that by four so right. that your agent in particular gets 4000. Yeah, and it's not always exactly sp- assuming split they split evenly. it evenly. Assuming they split it evenly, yes, that would be the case. 
Gotcha. So you got broker, broker. You got the buyer. Buyer has an agent. That agent has a broker. Right. You have the seller. Seller has an agent. Agent has a broker. Right. And those four, the brokers and the agents, they are who splits it. Right. Gotcha. Now, what's interesting is that because this comes out of the seller's proceeds at closing, most of the time buyers feel like they don't pay for their agent. The the sell the seller is actually paying their agent. Um, the fact is, you actually are paying your agent. You're just paying them within part of the purchase price of the house. So um, it is factored in to your mortgage and to the purchase price of the house. Right. So sort of, so sort of the seller has to take into account that commission, and therefore it raises the price of the house. Right. So in that the cost of the house is slightly higher than what it would be otherwise. That's sort of how you pay your agent? Except it's... I I wouldn't even say it's higher than it would be otherwise because it's... it That transaction is baked into the price of real estate in the United States. Gotcha. I mean, it's... it's Understood. It's understood. I mean, it has just become part of the price of a house. The same way as you know, a roof costs a certain amount, you know, <laughs> or the, the plumbing costs a certain amount. Um, and, and the same thing, you know, if you were speaking to a lender, you know, there are, um, the loan origination fees, there are title fees, there are all these other fees that are a part of any real estate transaction. And so, yeah. All righty. And so we've talked about the transaction a couple times. And then I think you even mentioned earlier about a process. If you were to lay out just at a high level, step one, hire an agent, step whatever, you've got the keys. What would what would be the biggest steps in the home buying process that you sort of go through? Okay, so regardless of whether you start with an agent first or not, the very first thing to do is figure out how much you can afford. <laughs> and so I... I like to call this the six C's that lays out the whole process, really. The first C is credit. And this is really what is your buying power uh, based on how much you earn, what your credit score is, all of that. These are the things you really need to go to a lender, to a mortgage loan officer, um, and have them get you pre-qualified for a loan, unless you have cash, (laughs) in which case, buy away. Uh, But most people do purchase with a loan. Um, and so that's a great place to start is to get a pre-qualification letter. The second thing is to really decide on what your criteria are. And that's where you really need to speak with your real estate agent to say, I want a four bedroom. We can't do a three bedroom. Um, you know, we've got too many kids now, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or we've got to have, you know, an office space or whatever the criteria are for the house itself. And then you want to think about the neighborhood. What criteria might you have for the neighborhood? Do you want to drive up and down hills? Do you want it? Would you rather it be flat? Um, would you like it to be close to schools? Would you like it be, to be close to your work? Uh, you want to evaluate the town. Do you want to stay, you know, in the town that you're in now, or do you want to move to a different town? Um, and so you want to start thinking about the criteria or how far outside of uh, you know, our, one of our major, you, you know, the major hub city that you live in, would you, would you go out to, you know, maybe you would save money if you were willing to drive for 
15, 20, 30 minutes. Are you willing to do that to save a certain amount of money or not? So criteria. Then you want to take those criteria and, uh, and start applying those to a search. And then you're going to start making choices. And this is typically meaning you're going to go see properties. You're going to start making choices about which properties are going to work and which ones aren't until you get down to one that does work. Then the fourth C is going to be the contract. This is where your agent's going to put the contract together for you, explain all your obligations within the contract, all the terms, and that's where the negotiation will happen back and forth between the agents to get you the best deal. And from there, we're in the closing period. Once you have an accepted contract, we're in the closing period. The fifth C that I throw in there is construction. Because regardless of whether you're buying a new construction home or you're buying you know, a pre-existing home, there's probably going to be some repairs. You're going to have an inspection, um, and you're going to be able to negotiate back and forth about these are the repairs that need to get made. Um, or if it is a new construction home, you're going to have to wait <laughs> while, they're, <laughs> while they're building the house for you. And then there is a closing. And closing is the sixth C. And that's where you're going to bring your down payment and your closing costs to typically a title company. In some states, uh, you you do it uh, at an attorney's office or something like that. But you'll have a closing where you sign and the seller signs um, and the transaction happens at that point. So all the money goes from, from the seller to, or sorry, from the buyer to the seller. Yeah. Gotcha. So in summary, the six C's are going to be credit. Criteria, choices, contract, construction, and closing. And you can actually get a buy. I have a buyer's guide that will walk you through all of those things. You can just go to my website, homeswithcoley.com, go to buyer's guides, and you'll find that there. All righty. And that link will be in the description or the show notes, depending on if you're watching on YouTube or listening on whatever your podcast player of choice is. So that was about the process. It sounds like that was more towards the, if you're purchasing a home, is there a different set of steps if you're selling? Yeah, I would say the things to focus on if you're selling a home are going to be things that are going to maximize the perceived value of that property in the minds of the buyers. Okay. So that's how you're going to make the most out of the property. And the things to focus on there are pricing, presentation, and promotion, the three P's. Um, with pricing, you want to make sure that you're priced, you're pricing the property with the market. You don't want to be overpriced because if you're overpriced, the days on market are going to creep up. And then once the days on market are too long, people are going to think, well, something's wrong with the property and you're just not going to get, you're just not going to get showings because if you're, if your price is not competitive with the properties that are already in the market, people are going to buy those properties first. And your property will be sitting there unsold. And then new properties will come in the market. And they're priced under you too. And they all sell. (laughs) And then you're still sitting there. So you want to make sure that your pricing is competitive uh, to begin with. Um, Now that doesn't mean that you have to underprice the property. It means the price has to meet the perceived value in the mind of the buyer's. So that's where presentation comes in because presentation is about how you present the property to the public. 
Um, this is going to be the curb appeal. It's going to be, you know, are the, you know, is the paint color trendy? Is the, um, is, is it in good repair? You know, are there things that are obviously wrong with the property? Is there a broken down car in the front yard? Exactly. So <laughs> you want to you want to make it look appealing. You want to make it look trendy. If trends have changed since you know since the property was built, um, taking those those things into mind, and also just cleaning it a deep clean. You know, pressure washing the outside, doing a deep clean on the inside, decluttering it, get, getting rid of all the you know extra stuff that just clutters rooms up, and really opening it up. Uh, it could be also as simple as taking curtains, making sure curtains are always open so there's lots of natural light, things like that. Instead of doing dark drapes, do um, like a sheer curtain so light can come through it. You know, just little little things like that. Uh, that's presentation. It, that could also include staging. And staging can actually bump the sale price of your house. And people don't realize this, but... If it's professionally staged and it looks like a model home, it looks like they're walking into an HGTV show, the perception is higher. The perceived value is higher. So you can actually increase the sale price by increasing that perceived value. Um, and then promotion. And this is a, a big job for the agent, which is the marketing of the home. So the, the photos, the video, the uh, multiple listing service listing that they put in, the written descriptions that they that they write, um, if they're doing social media advertising, that's really important that they're doing things like that for you. So, you know, pricing, presentation, and promotion, all three of those things have to really work together uh, in order to give you the best result as a seller. Well, all righty then. Sounds like some good stuff. Thanks. <laughs> Seems like you're. You've I've, re- sounds I've, like I've only been uh, talking to people about this for, you know, f- I don't know, five, six years now, something like that. Yeah, that's the information you get when you're one of the what was it, top one hundred in your region. Uh, yes. <laughs> Asterisks below. Twenty twenty nineteen <laughs> Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. Yes. There you go. He's official. Hello, everyone. This is Alex coming to you live with the power of post production. Coley and I went on to talk for a while longer, but I've been listening to you guys' comments and emails, and it seems like hour-long episodes are something you guys don't particularly like. So I went ahead and I split the interview in half, and part two is going to be coming out tomorrow morning. Now, a quick note that we need to mention here. Coley is a registered real estate agent, but he is not your agent. So you should always check with a licensed agent or broker in your area because the applicable laws, best practices, and even the customs can be different state to state, area to area, region to region. So you should never really take these things as law that this is the way things have to go. Just be sure you run across all your ideas through a registered real estate agent because they are going to know for sure. And with that, I'll see all of you tomorrow.